In the end, the accomplishment that I think that matters the most is how I've contributed toward benefiting others. I really think that's what where the rubber meets the road, if you will. You know, when I'm on my deathbed, yes, it'll be nice to have, oh, I've done this, I've lived this dream and followed through on my vow and all of that. But what have I done to make the universe a little better? better place or impact others and so for me um i take that real personally and i with my book i put it out there because i really wanted to inspire people to live their dreams i I realize we may have to modify our dreams based on kind of where we are in our life but life is really short hi there guys today we are joined by an incredibly inspiring woman called jean munchrath she's the author of a book called if i live until morning and it's a true story of adventure tragedy and ultimately transformation now this book has done incredible things on amazon went to number one as a bestseller um, and it's gone on to win many many accolades and it's because of this uh this memoir at the end of the day really about jean's uh, incredible survival story and how she recovered from an adventure induced trauma you know this wilderness adventure turned into a nightmare after skiing some 200 miles along california's john muir trail and gene faces death from a mountaineering accident on mount whitney broken and bleeding on the highest peak in the continental united states i mean you must see some of the stuff uh, that we cover in this uh, episode especially on youtube and facebook guys if you haven't if you want to see what actually goes on here uh, have a look um, but she vows to realize her greatest dreams despite all of this and she lives until morning she should not have survived so we're going to learn a hell of a lot about the power of transformation the role of determination, grit, and perseverance in ultimately overcoming some anything, really. Um, and so this episode is all about how to survive anything. And when we consider what's going on in the world around us today, uh, this is a time of survival. And so I hope this story inspires you as much as it inspired me. So without further ado, enter Jean Munchrath. Hello, ladies and gentle fiends. Welcome back to another cracking installment of the Map Run Show. It has been like a month off <laughs> for me for business reasons. But uh, yeah, so with me today is uh, Jean, I believe I pronounced that correctly, and Munchrath, right? All the way from Colorado. You got it. Cool. Uh, so Jean, uh, it's not Jean from like X-Men, right? You're not that Jean, no. right? They didn't write <laughs> no. that character after you. Are you sure about that? Because uh, they might as well have done that, given your story. So I'm uh, super excited to kind of get into this uh, with you all today. Um, so, um, yeah, so we are broadcasting this all over the internet. So if you are catching this live, uh, please feel free to interact with us and let's try and have a bit of fun. So, um, so Gene, how's the wildfires over there at the moment? Eh? So lots of smoke up in the air in the States. Yeah, there is um, a lot of smoke, of course, from the West Coast and all, though that's quite a ways away. We actually have wildfires here in Colorado, and we have um, one that's about 20 miles north of us, actually. So the skies are smoky, and my voice is kind of sore this morning, but yeah. uh, we can still see the mountains. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, it just seems like this this whole year is just eating everybody alive, right? So it's like fires yeah, and like, like what's what's Oregon as well, just the state north of, um, of California, like San Francisco is like the whole bridge is not even red. It's like this brown, red sort of like backlit backlit sky. It's like what's that movie? I'm gonna miss. (laughs) It's the movie. Forget the name of the movie. I saw a post about it on Twitter, but it literally is a scene from a movie from like when the world's ending. It's nuts. Uh huh. 
think there's a lot of those scenes and it seems like that's the case, but we'll get through this. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We will, we will. Um, so, Gene, uh, why don't you uh, walk us through, um, uh, like, you know, maybe give us the elevator pitch, you know, like who are you? We're actually going to cover a story that happened in the 1980s, I believe. But I think yes, it's still correct. it's still very relevant today in the sense that, um, you know, at least from my perspective, it's just so easy to to latch on to this whole narrative of being the victim and everything, you know, like there's the C-19, there's, and stuff happens, you know, like that we don't plan, or at least Mm -hmm. that happens beyond our control. And that's, those are the kind, that's the tension really, because I don't mind if I make a mistake that I am responsible for, but when, when I have to suffer the consequences, right, or have to survive something that um, that was beyond my control. Those are the things that I wrestle with. So, but we're going to get into all of that kind of stuff. So, Gene, uh, why don't you give us the elevator pitch? Who are you? What are you about? And uh, where does this whole story begin? Okay, well, um, I've worn a lot of different hats in my life, to be honest, and uh, I guess I look at life as an adventure, and isn't it? Because it's full of uncertainty. We never know where life is going to take us, despite our best laid plans, right? Um, I think I'd label myself as kind of an explorer. I like to explore other cultures. I like to explore the mountains, and uh, I like to be very introspective. But to be honest, um, being an author is pretty new for me. I wrote down my story initially for myself. It was basically an attempt to heal on an emotional level um, to deal with my tragedy, which I know we'll talk about, so I won't go into all the details right now, but Mm. pretty hairy survival story. And so I wrote that down, and then I realized this is a very powerful story, and maybe if I shared it, I could benefit others. So that's kind of what caused me to put it out into the world. But prior to that, actually, most of my career has been as a um, park ranger with the United States National Park Service. And my main job with that was providing uh, inspirational and educational programs to the public. And a few highlights of my park ranger career include um, serving as the personal guide to the emperor and empress of Japan when they visited Rocky Mountain National Park mm. and being an artist and resident coordinator. And then kind of a fun story, when I was uh, doing my internship in Glacier National Park, I lived in a wilderness cabin literally in the middle of nowhere and uh, I spent my 21st birthday in a tree with a black bear circling around the tree for two hours so that's kind Perfect. of a claim to fame that I have well done. and in addition <laughs> I've also worked as a trekking guide in um, Nepal and Thailand and been a consultant with the World Wildlife Fund in the Kingdom of Bhutan so that's kind of sure. a nutshell of my life okay well you're far more interesting than me you should start your own podcast Maybe so. We'll, we'll see what the future brings. So, um, it's an adventure. This story begins in, in Mount Whitney. Um, where is that? So it's in the Sierra Nevada range, which um, runs through a good part of sort of central California. And it's a, you've probably heard of the Pacific Crest Trail, because I know you've interviewed Mm. some other long distance hikers. And so it's a, probably the most scenic section, in my personal opinion, of the Pacific Crest Trail. It runs from Mexico to Canada, but this is in California. And it's extremely rugged terrain. Um, There's 11 passes to cross. And we did 14 because we had to put in 14. Um, some food caches that we had to come and get. And uh, it's really beautiful country. 
and it's a long trail. It's about 225 miles or so, give or take, or 320 kilometers for your more broad audience. Okay. So that's where it is. Yeah. Yeah, I'm on the Wikipedia page now, guys, so you can have a look at this. It's pretty barren here. I mean, why were you there? Were you were you on a on a <laughs> like? What were you doing there? It's very alpine. A lot of it is above tree line. Uh, yeah. So right now it's very dry. So maybe what you're seeing. But, or snowy. Um, the reason we were there is um, I had a dream to hike the John Muir Trail. I was envisioning summer, but the summer I was going to do it, uh, things didn't work out. And then I met um, this man named Ken who had already hiked it. And his dream was to ski the John Muir Trail on cross-country skis, which is a huge undertaking. And um, anyway, when I met him, he mentioned, this and i grew up skiing in colorado and sure i can do that so we kind of merged our dreams and it became this big focus of our life until it was done and kind of dominated my life actually well let's get into it so you were what, what was the mission there like what were you there to do was it just to, to do that particular part of the trail and, and or was it an experience thing was it has it had it been done before why were you the one to do this particular thing was it a personal <laughs> right. ambition you know well i we weren't the first people to ski the John Muir Trail, um, but I do think we might have been some of the first people to do it on narrow skis. I brought my props here. Oh, yeah, um, cool. Here's, here's a up. ski. So we're talking narrow skis, no metal edges, boots that look more like tennis <laughs> shoes, right? And uh, anyway, the point of it was uh, to have an adventure and to explore this beautiful country and uh, – just get out and enjoy the world. And I, we like wilderness areas. So yeah. that was the, mo- the momentum. Yeah. Okay, fantastic. So uh, what happened then? So the ski trip was great, by the way. <laughs> okay, the oh, you had a good time is, at the end of it? Okay. Oh, I had a fabulous time. Um, we succeeded in the ski trip. And then when we got to Mount Whitney, which um, for reference for your listeners, is the highest point in the continental United States. And we got up there. It was going to be the last day of the trip, so we thought. Uh, and we got caught in a pretty wicked storm. We're at 14,500 feet, which is um, – I lost my meter translation. Let's see. That is uh, – 4,300 meters. Yeah, and like, yeah, so we're high, high, way, way above tree line. And the yeah. storm comes in and it's snowing and it's lightning. And we're in imminent danger of getting struck by lightning. Our hair is standing up. And um, yeah, so the roof of the shelter there was buzzing. It was a bad scene. And we realized we need to escape fast. So rather than going the summer route out down the mountain, which would be going into the storm, we opted to go down the north face, which was steeper. And kind of in a nutshell, um, my partner took a 800 foot fall on the way down and uh, survived that. But I didn't know that for a long time. I was trying to get myself down alive and near the bottom um, where the mountain starts to level out. I was in these last cliffs and I fell about 150 to 165 feet through that and sustained life threatening injuries. And then of course we had to get out by ourselves because this is 1982. So hold on. He falls 800 feet. Yes. And you fall 150 feet. Okay. Yes. So that's so for my listeners, which we use the metric system over here mm-hmm. on Earth, um, and uh, <laughs> so yeah, so you fell like fifty meters. That's a long way, and then that's eight hundred feet is like two hundred and something, two hundred and sixty odd meters or something like that. That's a long way. And tell me, were you so you were on the? How did you fall? Was it like a cliff face that you were on, or like could you just not see? Were you trying to get out? Like walk us through that. 
Well, it was snowing um, and, you know, windy and all of that. And um, we were going down kind of a coir, which is a steep, snowy slope. And I actually brought some pictures because I know it might be hard for your leaders. Yeah, I'm at, I was Googling some pictures to, to bring up. So, yeah. Okay. So, Go can ahead. you see this okay? Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. Yeah. So, this is the north face of Mount Whitney. And this is a summer photo. Mm-hmm. So, um, keep in mind, you have to envision snow and a storm on this. Okay. And you can see the coir, our descent route our camp, and the first part of our escape route. So um, as we were coming down initially because there was so much snow, we were using a tool called an ice axe. We were not skiing. Our skis were strapped on our backpacks. Uh-huh. And I realize, again, your listeners may not know what an ice axe is. So yeah, bring it this up. is an ice axe. Okay. Jeez, put that um, down. I, <laughs> you could yeah, lose an too, eye. Right? Have you not learned a lesson, right? Yeah. Jeez. <laughs> right. So you, you, you use this pick to <laughs> dig into the snow slope. Yeah, so yeah, I'm hanging yeah. off of that. And Ken hit some ice that was my skiing partner, and he bounced and went down the mountain. And so I managed to negotiate several hundred feet of that snow slope until I got further down into some rocks. And then I was down climbing those rocks when I took my fall. Hectic. And so did you fall, did you land in a kind of the same place, or were you, did you, did he like roll down a different cliff? Like how far away were you? Yeah. From each other. Well, so I'll back up a little bit. So when Ken took his fall, um, he was out of my sight for hours. It was a very okay. stressful time. Yeah, yeah sure. And, and I think he landed close to where I did. But then he actually, as I proceeded down, he came back up the mountain to find me so we could go down together. And then as we were going down together, he successfully down climbed those um, rocks and he was actually going down to get a a rope, which he had, but he had left down with his pack where he landed. And I was supposed to wait and I made a very poor decision. And I thought, well, he down climbed it. Why can't I, you know, Mm. the story was then I, there you go. So, so how do you fall 800 feet and get up? Stay with us. We'll be right back. Hey there, I know being an entrepreneur can be a very lonely experience. You sometimes get stuck, don't you? Well, if you're like me, being stuck sucks. But what if you could access the minds of over 850 CEOs who have built companies generating billions of dollars in revenue and access all of that knowledge in a fraction of a second? Well, the good news is you can literally do that today. What my team have built is Matt Brown AI. It is trained on all the interviews, over 850 of them that I've done to date, all my books, all the knowledge capital that has been generated over the last 10 years right here on the Matt Brown Show. And you can get access to all of that right now for free. So how do you get access to this? Well, head on over to mattbrownshow.com and at the top you'll see community. Hit that link, sign up, it's absolutely free and you'll be given instant access to Matt Brown AI and a community of over 100,000 subscribers. Well, his fall was really miraculous. He only sustained um, two hairline fractures and abraded some of his skin through his clothes. So uh, Kim was quite the athlete. I think he kind of bounced off of it and landed just right in the snow. And maybe it was a miracle. But Jeez, yeah. for myself, I bounced on the rocks and through the rocks. So I sustained yeah. it. You chose the hard way, right? I mean, yeah, I chose the hard way. As you were falling, you were like, let's go there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, no, no I understand. Yeah, the school of hard rocks. <laughs> Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) So, okay. So, and then how bad were your injuries at that point? I mean, and also, by the way, how far, like, can you paint the picture of you're now in a life-threatening situation Mm -hmm. in the 1980s in a storm? Where is, Mm -hmm. like, the nearest sort of 
you know, help. Yeah. Okay. So again, I brought some pictures. Okay, no, bring it up. Bring it up. Saves time. me Googling. Okay, so here's again where we were. You can see where we came down. Yeah. We camped for several days in the storm. We had to go out this way through the snow to this pass called the Whitney Russell Hole. And then from there, I don't know how well this will translate on your screen. Yeah, it's you clear. can see kind of the white route. Okay. okay. Um, so with that, um, this route out was um, from the summit basically to the trailhead, which is not the nearest town. Uh, that was seven miles. And I can show it to translate that into meters, maybe 12, or excuse me, kilometers. And we had 4,700 feet to go down. Um, and then once we got to the trailhead, we had to get a ride to the hospital, which is probably, I'm going to say, 15, 20 mile drive down to the nearest tiny okay. town in a very tiny hospital. So you had to kind of traverse 11 kilometers roughly and then get in, did you say 30 miles? Uh, a, well, from, seven from miles there. to get down oh, seven miles, 30 to the trailhead yeah, okay, with, yeah, and yeah, yeah. then 20 miles to the okay. actual hospital. Jeez, okay. It took us five days from the summit to get help. <laughs> oh gosh. So then yeah. what were, <laughs> and then what were your, what were your actual injuries? At the time. I have a list because okay. it's so long. Right. Okay, I fractured um, my thoracic spine at T12, my lumbar spine at L1, L2, L5. My sacrum was in three pieces. My tailbone was shattered. I had fractures possibly of my pubic bone and my right hip. I displaced my sacroiliac joints and my tailbone. I had bladder damage because um, of nerve damage, um, muscle damage in one leg. I had a hip injury, internal bleeding, frostbite on my toes, and gangrene on my buttock from internal bleeding and a wound. And they actually had to remove about a third of one side of my butt. So a lot of injuries. So you were fine. <laughs> yeah, it was fine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no so big you, deal, right? Like I mean, you know, Jesus at all? Right. Okay. You should yeah, have you should have you should have found another rock on the way down, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just like, you know, really gone for glory, you know what I'm saying? So <laughs> Right, yeah. Yeah. So okay, well that's nuts, man. That's nuts. So yeah. So were you able to, like, could you, how, how mobile were you? I mean, was it this a stretcher you had lying on your back sort of situation, I imagine, or? Um, well, because it was um, a time period when there were no, you know, emergency located beacons and things like that, no cell phones. We were a week ahead of schedule. Our parents had an itinerary, but no one would be looking for us because we made such great time on our ski trip. So um, we laid in the tent for two days, immobile, uh, because of the storm that was ongoing and trying to assess how we were going to get out. It, it had to happen on our own power. So um, after the storm subsided, two days later, I literally got upright. I mean, I had no choice. I had to put 35 pounds on my broken back and start walking. Um, I didn't have my skis then. We sank sometimes up to our thighs in snow, which was torturous with every step. We cr I crawled at times. Um, that's how I got out. I mean, so, very rugged terrain. Yeah, so I'm fascinated by that. Like, did you, did you think you were going to make it? Like, what were the thoughts well, going through your head at that time? Yeah, um, the first thought I had was the evening um, that I had, had my accident. I was in the tent. It was getting dark. And I actually had a, a sense of death, a, a sense of something kind of floating over me. And I knew I couldn't fight this. It was either I was going to die or I wasn't going to die. And I, I just kind of let that dissipate. But before I went to sleep, and I was very alert, I made this vow that I would live my dreams, every one of them, as best as I could if I made it to morning. I thought, if I made it to morning, everything's going to be okay. Well, the next morning comes, and I'm really injured. There's blood everywhere. It's, it's bad. Um, but I 
I developed this mantra in my mind and I said it literally for two straight days, unless I was asleep or I was talking to my partner, Ken. And that mantra was, I'm going to live. I'm going to live. I'm going to live. And it didn't stop. And then when I started to get upright, I just focused my mind on taking one step at a time, one step at a time. And so that I could get out and I didn't give up. I just wanted to make it. I wanted to live really bad. So when we, left the mountain I, I wasn't sure I would make it you know and I was afraid of actually being paralyzed with my injuries with taking these steps in this terrain yeah. but you know I was going to die trying so I those were my two choices I can lay there and die or I can go out and maybe I'll make it and maybe I won't but I'm going to make it every effort I can yeah so I did. isn't that line die trying from a rap song <laughs> maybe it is I think yeah. it is it's probably <laughs> a little bit off center trying, from yeah. your world, but yes. Yeah. yeah it's it like something, something or die I... trying. Get rich or die trying. <laughs> right. And when I got to the trailhead, that's when I finally realized, I think I'm going to live, you know, and that was mm. the first time I just cried. It was like, okay, I'm going to make it. You mm-hmm, know, so. Mm-hmm. so, um, when you, when you cast your mind back to, um, to that, that those moments where, you know, you're basically surviving a near death experience, what would you say yeah. is the, the number one lesson that you learned? I mean, obviously you share the story, uh, you know, to inspire people to contribute sure. to something, an idea beyond yourself or bigger than yourself, right. um, which I, you know, obviously hugely subscribe to is why we do this show. Um, right. So, I mean, why did, what did you learn? You know, one thing, what was that thing that yeah. you learned? Obviously there's the lots of it. The single greatest thing I learned uh, is that mind is everything. I mean, we know that, I think, at some intellectual level, but to really experience that the basis of one's happiness and one's life and one's ability to do things or get over things or deal with things, it's all based on the mind. And I realized that when I was saying that mantra and then I could get out alive and I realized that in dealing with chronic pain and sinking and getting out and just in everything I've dealt with in life, which is quite a bit, it's just it Mm -hmm. all goes back. To the power of the mind and so i think spending more time cultivating our mental powers and abilities uh, serves every arena of our life and i yeah. of course got that wake-up call that life is short and you need mm-hmm. to seize the day yeah i mean how did your perspective on what you are on your life at that time how did it change or shift in what way i really learned that it was short and i know a lot of people do have kind of their own little wake-up calls it might be a serious diagnosis or it could Mm. be um you know like an accident of some sort and and they may look at death for a little bit but they don't let it inform their lives so for me I really felt emphatic about living my dreams as much as I could and pursuing those within my abilities. And I'll give you kind of an example of how that's informed my life, at least in one arena. So when the Park Service offered me a year-round job, I wanted that job, but I didn't want it so bad I would just take it at all costs. I really wanted to honor what was important to me personally. And so I kind of put that commitment on hold and I thought about what I wanted and I took a risk and I went to them and I said, okay, I will take this job, but only if you give me two months off every year without pay, it's okay, because I have other things I want to do with my life and because I don't want to just work my whole life. There's so much to enjoy in life. So that's really informed my life a lot. Yeah. I imagine so. And then what did you change? I mean, obviously, you know, perspective is very hugely important, self-awareness. Like, well, I was that person. Now my perspective has changed who I fundamentally am. Like, you know, I appreciate things better. Or I, you know, I've now 
figured out that the mind is the thing that actually mm-hmm. is the conduit to great achievements, even if it's just surviving a, a, a hectic, um, you know, near death ex- experience. What did you change? I changed a lot of my routines. I certainly had to develop a lot of stretching routines. I changed what was important to me. uh, And um, I really developed a meditation practice. And some of that is from my accident, just because I I felt like I needed to find answers to what I was dealing with. And I needed to find a way to process that. Um, So that really changed. And that's changed my whole belief system and the way I look at the world. And Mm -hmm. it's been very powerful. So in some ways, you could say that meeting death had the aspect of having a gift at the same time. I live life much more aware and it's a richer, more meaningful life that I think maybe I wouldn't have if it weren't for that experience. Yeah. Um, And what did you learn about dealing with like hectic trauma? (laughs) Well, trauma and pain, uh, they go together. You know, I think it's easy, especially in the physical sense to just think it's the body, but the truth is it it is the body, but it's also wrapped up in a lot of our emotional levels and how we're experiencing and coping with pain. So for me, you know, of course I learned, you know, you have to find the best medical practitioners. And for me, that's been a lifetime journey of finding the right ones. And I found ones that are very um, helpful for me, including having gone to Nepal for medical treatment, which was very Mm. powerful. But I think on a deeper level, um, dealing with pain is something where you have to kind of come to a level of acceptance while finding the balance of still trying to find some solutions. Mm. And I've taken kind of two aspects and how to deal with that. And the first for me has been, if I approach pain differently. So I think the human nature way of approaching pain and trauma is to try and push it away, deny that it's there, or just don't look at it, wanting to get rid of it. And the truth is that pain may or may not disappear. And so it's how do you deal with it skillfully so that it's not like a pop-up ad on your computer all the time. It's just annoying you. And since you can't run from it, you may as well make friends with it. So I tried the technique of trying to be a more a distant observer of my pain and use it actually as a meditation practice and explore it with curiosity. Like what's the nature of this pain? What makes it come and go? How does it feel? How does it make me feel? Mm. And kind of doing that softened the pain. And then another strategy that I've used is, you know, when you're in a lot of pain, emotionally or physically or both, you kind of get in this self-pity mode, the victim mode, if you will, like you were mentioning. And it's easy to think that, um, you're all alone and just feel sorry for yourself. But another tactic is I will try and think about all the people in the world and what they're experiencing and what suffering they have. And it gives me perspective about mine. Like maybe theirs is worse than mine. If they can manage theirs, even though it's difficult, I can get through mine. And at the same time, it helps give me compassion to realize that that's kind of the experience of human nature and, I think to rise up and actually pray for those other people and send them good energy, it gets me out of the poor Mm. me mentality. And I think it's been very beneficial. So there's a lot of, of course, different levels of approaching pain. Yeah. I'm uh, training for, for like an Enduro event uh, called Sign CC. Yeah. It's, um, it's like a 300 K mountain bike race. And uh, I've got this uh, cycling coach and I bought this indoor smart trainer. It's literally changed my life. It's amazing. Ah. Like the, it uses like an online game, right? To like, it's a cycling game, right? So it's all indoor, but it's like super, you know, data heavy. So you can ride against other competitors and whatever. Oh, cool. Anyway, so the reason why I'm telling you all of this uh, is because like I'm suffering a lot 
at the moment. Okay. <laughs> um, and it's fascinating for me because I, I actually try that because like this morning I was, there's like this whole thing where you have to put out a certain number of watts per kilo. So mm-hmm. if you want to win like a domestic competition, it's four and a half watts per kilogram. So if you weigh like, you know, 75 kilos, uh, you know, you want to be putting out 4.5 times that uh, for a period okay. of 20 minutes. It's not easy. Okay. The pros, no. like the guys who do Tour de France are doing like six <laughs> so wow. it's like, okay. it's pretty hectic, but I, I, I'm going through this process because I'm trying to also grow and that's, and also to dev, develop that kind of, not even, I wouldn't even say it's, it's like resilience, you know, mm-hmm. to, to suffering. And obviously my case is very different to yours, but everybody's suffering right. in different ways. So, but Correct. the principle stands true. So I'm trying to figure out, like, I try to do that this morning. I was like, I was like hitting it hard and then like really in a lot of pain and then trying to do that objective exercise that you did, right? Which was not, not be in it, but just observe it. But it's, it's all, it's so hard to actually do that for a long period of time. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like I'm doing it for a minute and then I'm like, I'm done. And then I'll do it for another minute, whatever. So, um, but for you, you were in a situation where like you mentioned all the, the distances, right? Like that you were at. And so, it took how many days? Like you were in like that situation for days, right? So what did you, five, <laughs> five days, like it's insane. Yeah. So what did you learn about, you know, the role of, of grit or, de- or determination, you know, to, to, in other words, what I'm trying to get to is how, what have you learned about cultivating grit? Well, I think grit for me comes from two places. Um, one is uh, I just naturally have a lot of grit and determination and perseverance. Um, but I've gotten more of that actually through the years. And I had it even before this experience on Mount Whitney. And that came from just being outdoors a lot, to be honest. I've spent so much time out in the wilderness. And, you know, Mother Nature is very beautiful and very powerful. But ultimately, if you spend enough time out, stuff is going to go wrong. The weather is going to be really, really bad. You might sprain an ankle or get lost. And I've certainly done both of those um, or something even bigger in my case. And I feel that each time you experience something like that, you have to be self-reliant. You have to get through it. Uh, So you just plow through and then you build strength on that. So you get through that, you can get through the next one and maybe kind of having that self-coach help get you through that. I know I've had a lot of my inner voice as my coach when I was trying to come down Mount Whitney and I was really afraid of blowing it because I wanted to help my partner. I just kept saying, you can do this. You can do this. You know, focus your mind. You can do this. And I would build grit through that. And as life has proceeded and I've had chronic pain and various obstacles, I just always try and remember what I've done in the past. Okay, I survived this event on Mount Whitney. I can get through anything. And I just kind of tell myself I can do that. And if I just take one step at a time and persevere, I will get there. And Mm. I believe you'll get there too. So do your best. Yeah, interesting. Um, I wanted to um, kind of detour and talk about um, this idea of, of, well, basically, if you you think about the the first thing you answered, which was around all the things that you've done, um, and you have done a hell of a lot, right? So I would say Mm -hmm. that you're quite achievement-driven, which is kind of one thing we certainly have in common um yes. like it's, uh, that's everything for me you know doing stuff that's pioneering and, and so on and so forth um so in your case i mean what have you learned about manifestation so being clear on because this is another thing we've been doing as or i've been doing over the last two weeks so mm-hmm. as ceo of a company that's kind of no longer a startup and now it's scaling up so it's about uh, vision right and being able to articulate that vision to 
a team to get them to believe in what it is that we're doing as a company. And I haven't done that historically. So, and also I think a lot of us are guilty in not being clear, right, around what it is mm -hmm. that we actually want. And so there is this um, exercise called the three MIQ exercise or the three most important questions exercise. Have you heard, of, heard about that before? No, no, tell me about it. Yeah, it's very cool. Let me get this up on the screen here. Okay. Um, so I can um, articulate this uh, properly. So it's a book that I read recently called uh, The Buddha and the Badass. <laughs> it's a great. Oh, I like it. <laughs> it's, it's written by this chap up on screen here called, uh, his name is Vashen uh, Lakiani. Um, and so uh, it's. Uh, I'm not sure whether he came up with it. I th I'm just going to say that he did. But basically, uh, I'm going to download this exercise here. And so the three questions are, um, okay. uh, and while this is busy loading, but the first thing to give you context is that research apparently has shown that human beings, what we actually want more than anything else is experiences. We don't want the man. We don't necessarily want money because the money is the thing that affords us the experiences that we want. Correct. Does it make sense? Mm -hmm. So, so actually what we want are experiences. And for some reason, this thing now is not loading, but anyway, let me uh, just articulate the three questions for you while that is being a pain. So, so um, you can get this uh, by the way, guys on mind value or search for three MIQ. And so uh, basically the first question is, what experiences do you want in your life? And if you think about the things that you've done, I mean, it's just like it's littered with all these amazing experiences. Um, and then the second thing is, once you clear on the experiences that you want, what are you prepared to do to get them? In other words, in what areas do you need to grow? So if you want to be a, an international, an Amazon bestselling author like you are, uh, and like I am, what are, in what areas are you prepared to grow? So like, you know, another great thing that Naval tweeted the other day, he said, if you want to write a great book, you have to be the book. Um, and, um, uh -huh. and yeah, so, so that's the next thing. And then the third thing is all around, like to your point that you landed earlier, which is all about contribution. So now that I know the experiences and I've grown in these ways, how can I contribute to humanity and to, to causes beyond myself? That's in a nutshell, these uh, three MIQ questions. Um, and so, um, I think getting clear is one thing we just don't do enough of, right? We don't get clear. And so I wanted to ask you now having pre given that huge preamble is, <laughs> is how, what have you learned about getting clear? Like in what, what is your kind of, do you visualize, what is your visualization process? To what extent do you visualize? How, how granular do you go? What have you learned about, you know, pulling future dreams into your reality today? Mm -hmm. A couple of different things. Um, you know, first you have to identify what that dream is, and that's pretty easy for me. Um, one of my earlier dreams, and I believe the dream that kept me alive on Mount Whitney that I really wanted to get out for and live my life for is I wanted to see the Himalayas. It was incredibly important to me. So um, I, I know like when I was collapsing periodically on the way out, I would think, oh, I can't do this. I'm not going to make it. And then I would remember, oh, I've got this dream. And that was a huge motivator for me. I pull myself back up and keep on going. Uh, but in reality, as far as how I actually try to translate a dream into reality is I'll identify the dream. And then one of the things I will do is I will put symbols of that dream uh, around so I see them. So for instance, uh, let's go back to the Himalayas as an example. And I did this way back in the 80s and I do this today mm -hmm. is I would put a topographic map on my wall of 
Mount Everest. I would put um, pictures of um, the Himalayas in rooms or on my laptop or wherever. So I'd have that constant reminder, hey, this is what you're going for. This is what you're striving to achieve. And then another strategy I would use is, you know, you can't just have this idea, oh, I've got this dream. You have to start some sort of momentum. And once you take the first steps, it feels like that momentum grows. So um, identifying what that dream is and then what steps need to be taken. And so like in this instance, we're talking about, okay, I got a map. Well, I need to look at what the distances are and how much an airline ticket costs and actually start doing the things that are going to manifest that into reality. Because again, once you start, it's easy to keep going. But if you just keep thinking, oh, someday I want to do this, it may never actually happen. And then the third thing that I do is I, I do visualize. I visualize myself in that setting or accomplishing whatever that goal is. And I don't visualize it down to a granular level. You know, it's a lot of pixels and things like that. Instead, I just visualize it happening. I visualize it being successful. But I temper that a bit with not having too much of an expectation that when that actually manifests into reality, that it will look exactly the way I visualized it. Because I think that can set you up for a disappointment mm. rather than being open to mm. the package that the universe is going to present that dream to you. Yeah. Does that make sense? No, it does. It does completely. I mean, I've just done this whole exercise. Of called, it's called vivid vision. It's the vivid vision mm. process. And there's a whole book called vivid vision. And it's the idea that, you know, most companies, they'll have like a vision statement. Uh-huh. Have you heard right. about that? And it's like, here's our vision, here's our mission, and then like a whole bunch of BS around like, you know, <laughs> pillars of like respect and blah, 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 right. and whatever. And so they're all very like, you know, it's, it's kind of like it's not going to get you there. How are you supposed to be clear about where your business is going to be, right, if you put it in a statement? It's impossible. Mm-hmm. It's just not possible to – yeah, exactly. But all, like, yeah. it's, and anyway, so the whole, so it's a great book. I'm actually going to bring it up here. It's called Vivid Vision. I'm going to find out who wrote this book. Um, I just wrote it down. Oh, you did? Yeah. Vivid yes. Vision uh-huh. uh, book. Here it is. Uh, Vivid Vision. Jeez, lots of people like to do mood boards here. <laughs> 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 yeah, a remarkable tool for aligning. Let me bring this up on screen for everybody. A remarkable tool for uh, aligning your business around a shared vision of the future. So I've done a lot of like business consulting and stuff. And this is probably the one thing that I found has been like truly like innovative in the space. It's not about, you know, Simon Sinek's what, why, how sort of thing. It's, it's really a far more robust kind of process to, to kind of get to what you feel is um, a compelling future for not only yourself, but for you, but for the people that you work with. Right. So, mm-hmm. um, and so, and so what it does is it works on a three year window. So, Unlike a 10-year plan or a five-year business plan, which is a lot of rubbish, three years is something tangible. I can commit to three years to do this thing, right? So if I want to do an enduro event, I can obviously do that in like three years. Uh, But the idea being is that you, you articulate every aspect, right, of your business. So from the context of the business to the revenue of the business, the valuation, then sales, marketing, the number of people, the awards the creative team have won or whatever, whatever relevant to you, like the relationships you have with your customers, your people, your culture, the entire thing in absolute detail. So when you share it, people get excited. Because if you, you understand like a mission mm-hmm. is, is, is great, but it does not articulate the context of the business. And more importantly, the what and the why. But not the how, to your point, because the how doesn't matter. 
It matters, yes, but it does. It's not sure. the thing that you focus on. You focus on the destination, right? Why do you want that thing? Why do you exist, right? Why do you? Why have you achieved all these amazing things? You know, and I ask, um, you know, all my guests, and I ask you at the end, like, why do you do what you do? You know, uh, what gets you out of bed in the morning? And then your your team, then once they know the why and the what, they then they then work out the how they mobilize around that and in the personal capacity it's kind of like saying well you'll let the universe figure that out for you it kind of it will just get out your way you know as long as you focus and you continually take action um and you persevere to your you know all the things you've touched on earlier then that's how you you manifest things right right, right. yep i mean I totally uh, agree. what do you feel is your greatest accomplishment to date well, <laughs> I have quite a few, and I, I think it's um, depends on how you want to measure that, you know, because I think society tends to look at more of a tick list of what we've done, and I have my tick list. I mean, I do think it was remarkable to ski the John Muir Trail on these little skis and to survive this incredible epic and do things of that nature. I've spent uh, close to the equivalent of two years in meditation retreats. That's pretty unusual and a big accomplishment. But in the end, the accomplishment that I think that matters the most is how I've contributed toward benefiting others. I really think that's what where the rubber meets the road, if you will. You know, when I'm on my deathbed, yes, it'll be nice to have, oh, I've done this, I've lived this dream and followed through on my vow and all of that. But what have I done to make the universe a little bit of better place or impact others. And so for me, um, I take that real personally. And I, with my book, I put it out there because I really wanted to inspire people to live their dreams. I, I realize we may have to modify our dreams based on kind of where we are in our life, but life is really short. So that's really important to me. And I also realize, as you mentioned, we all have our Mount Whitney's and our shadows and that's just the human condition where we're suffering in one way or another. Mm -hmm. And I really wanted to give readers an opportunity to reflect on their own stuff and then to encourage them to take the steps to look inward as painful as it may be and be honest and then heal those things because you can't really get the most out of life if you're burdened by a lot of baggage, if you will, whether that's physical or emotional. So that's important to me. And that was kind of my objective with my book, but just in my work, you know, um, at the national park, I'm retired now, but I've really tried to strive to make a difference in the lives of my interns and make it about us rather than about, you know, me. Mm -hmm. I, I don't, I think it's important not to be able to be about me. It's got to be about us yeah. or about them yeah. uh, and contributing to really making significant impacts. And I've done that with my artist in resident position, but I'm not sure you want to hear about all those details. <laughs> well, I mean, what I do want to hear about is this documentary that they made, right? So, um, of uh, of your story it's a trailer i'm looking at your website you have got it up on screen ah, yeah i put that together <clears throat> yeah 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 so i mean yes. what do you feel uh, well let me go back a step what is the re okay. like the the primary reaction being from people who hear this story i mean what do they say what are some of the things that surprised you about you know the response to the work that you did here I think um, most of what I've heard is that it's been very inspiring for people in the sense of giving them hope and also helping them to identify some different tools they might try to deal with their own stuff that they're dealing with. And I've gotten quite a few emails and that actually means a whole lot to me because it's like, okay, this endeavor was worthwhile. If it's, if it's even made one person's life a little bit better, that 
is so worth it. But the, the single story that stands out in my mind is um, I've done a lot of talks and book club meetings and whatnot. And one day I got an email from uh, a lady that had been in a book club talk. And she said, I've got this friend who's really suffering. Um, she's become an uh, addict to opioid painkillers. And I had to deal with that as well. And she said, would you go meet with her? And so I said, sure. And I went over there just thinking, what am I going to say to this woman? And we had the most meaningful evening together of heart-to-heart conversation and trying to tailor some suggestions individual to her to help her. So I feel like it has benefited people and it's benefited me as well. And just telling the story is very healing instead of holding it into every cell, which kind of locks me into that um, mode of suffering. So sharing is is a really powerful thing. Uh, mm. I'm really pleased with the result. Uh, yeah, it's a it's a hard thing to write a book, right? And I want to pick up on something you mentioned earlier. Yes. You know about it was actually a healing thing for you. You know, mm-hmm. it was about like mm-hmm. I actually now have to take this trauma and put it into words. You know what I'm saying? That right. other people are going to kind of resonate with, or that you hope that they would resonate with. I mean, I would say uh, my book as well. Uh, you're in a game. You can actually get a free copy on MapBrownShow. I actually read it. It's oh, you fabulous. read it? Oh, did you read and it? I saw Fantastic! How much we resonated and oh, uh, really? Yeah. Story about the guy that nearly died and yeah, how yeah, yeah. To look at dying. Yeah, it was that's fabulous. it. Thank that's you. it. Right. Yeah. So that's exactly it. So I'm so I'm chuffed that you read it. Fantastic. Thank you. Um, yeah, not many guests have the time, <laughs> but uh, I, I made time. <laughs> oh, thank you, thank you. That really means a lot to me. Um, yeah. But like, it was also healing for me because I've also mm-hmm. had lots of different experiences. You know, had lots of it. Like, I've founded like eleven companies now, and you know, six of those bombed. Um, and I know what it's like to to fail and to to to. I mean, people don't like to share their failures. You know what I'm saying? Because mm-hmm. it doesn't make you right. feel good. You want to feel proud. You know, you don't, you want to be cool. You, you want to like present a version of yourself to the world. It's like Instagram. Like I, the mm. other, th- have you watched the social dilemma on Netflix? No, I will write it down and check write it out. Write that down. Like watch social that dilemma. stuff. And it's, watch that document. It's fascinating. Anybody else okay. here, uh, please watch the social dilemma. I will. Um, yeah. And it's all about, basically it's all about Facebook and how it uses, it sells users right? So if you have no product, your users are your product. So it sells us, right? To advertisers. And we obviously, we spend a fortune of money on Facebook, but I mean, because we have to, uh, you know, in a, an ideal world, I'd probably say no, right? So let's change the game. But, um, but unfortunately, that's where we are today. Point being is that, you know, they manipulate us, right? To give information and then they sell that information to advertisers. So the social dilemma um, I'm kind of losing my track here now, but the but the social dilemma basically paints this picture of the world that is hard for I think a lot of people to come to terms with because I think we're living in some in many cases like a fantasy, right? We're not really prepared to deal with reality. Do you know what I'm saying? Have you ever have you ever felt that like come across that? So so writing your story, by the way, going going back to what I was saying, going writing your story. It's a difficult thing to, to, to fully articulate in a way that will resonate with people because it's hard to know what people will resonate with. And I find leadership, which is what, if you're writing a book, you by virtue, you're, lead, you're leading, right? And so mm-hmm. to lead people who are living in a fantasy, I'm always fascinated by what the reaction will be. 
you know what mm-hmm. I'm saying? Like, what? how will people respond to this thing? I'm always, or to what I have to say, to my own trauma, to my story. Right. You know what I'm saying? Right. And, and, it's, yeah. and it's never, pre- and it's, it's like, I don't know if you've ever done scuba diving, but they always say, like, how do you interpret a shark underwater? And they give you a list. And I always remember because I was 16 when I qualified. And they said, you always treat a shark as being unpredictable. <laughs> so human beings, right. are, human beings are largely unpredictable, right? So I, the reason why I'm kind of preambling now, but I wanted to, to ask you a, a very pointed question about leadership. Like we all have a story to tell and everybody, you know, 7 billion of us on this planet have something unique to, sell, to tell, right? Mm-hmm. In, do you feel that we should all stand up for something and lead for something, which is what you've done. You know, I think people have to look at their individual makeup. You know, you can't have the whole world being leaders because you need followers as well, right? Um, I think it's more about skillful leadership. Uh, So, you know, leadership is good, but I think it's also looking at how we're leading. And I know like with my book, I wanted to be honest, like raw and honest. And I realized when I put that out that, not everybody was going to want to read all of this stuff. Maybe it was too much for some people, but I needed to be true to myself. And I think that's probably the basis of being a good leader is you have to be true to yourself. And then if you can be true to yourself, I think you can be true to others. And you can also can't be all things to all people, you know, like, so I noticed that, you know, like with book reviews for a lot of people, it will resonate, but then there's the people that only want the, you know, blood and guts glory story of surviving this epic. And, you know, that's not necessarily just the reality. In fact, that was originally my intention. I'll just write that. And then my aunt called, me up and she said oh no 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 how did this affect your life that's the rich meaningful story and i i think in terms of you know um we want to be maybe seen as as heroes and not tell the raw painful stuff but that's the human condition you know we might welcome a soldier back from war yay you survived welcome home but the real story is how that experience affects the rest of his life. And Mm. and that's where the human condition comes in. And I think it's those experiences when we process them, in my case, through writing, that's what can make us good leaders. Yeah, I agree. I think everybody should think about a story. I always say, if you want to figure out, right, what Mm -hmm. your, let's just say your highest intention is around something. Mm -hmm. I say this, I say, when I was doing my book tour and whatever, whenever I was in front of an audience, just like you were, and I always say, you know, what is the book that you're writing in, in three years time? And what's the name of the book? Mm. You know, it's a, cause yeah. like, you know, it's, it's, it's just a question. Like another thing I've learned recently about power of questions is, um, they called, Oh God, it's in that book, uh, Buddha and the badass. But anyway, it's like, it's the idea being that you have a conscious mind and an unconscious mind. And if you ask if the unconscious mind will just do whatever you tell it to do. So if you say, why do I have such a ripped, sexy, and healthy body? Or why do I make, every time I make money, I make more money automatically? Or why do I eat healthily every day? Or why, it's always why, 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 and then the question. Mm -hmm. And if you feed your brain, to your point, the power of the mind, right? It's the greatest manifestation tool you'll have outside of your two hands. Um, So if if you figure out the right questions to ask and you feed it into your mind in a way, your unconscious mind in a way that's structured, and then to your point, you use the mantra, I will survive. And guess what happened? You survived. survived. 
right? So it's the same thing. It's the same thing that you did to survive all those years ago, mm -hmm. right? That hectic near-death experience. And it's the same thing that st stands true today in my belief. It's like figuring out what your set of principles or mantras are and repeating those on a daily basis as if they are a ritual for you that you never let go of. Because that's another thing I've learned. People just don't stick to it. They just right. don't stick to it. It's like New Year's resolutions, right? I mean, what have you learned about the power of habit? Habit is everything because that kind of ultimately defines who you are over time. And so I think identifying what habits are serving you, um, not just physical habits, but mental habits are probably more important. And then learning to work with those and reframe those so you can change your narrative is absolutely critical. And I've done that a lot through meditation and spending a lot of time out in nature kind of creates this um, mental white space where you're able to identify new ways of thinking, just inspiring landscapes. Cool. Can I put you onto a meditation? I'd like, I'd love for you to try and everybody else listening to the show. Um, it's also by Kim, same story, Vision, um, the chap who wrote Buddha and the Badass and then the Code of an Incredible Mind. He runs a, com a very successful company called Mind Valley. They're transforming mm -hmm. uh, education around the world. Anyway, so one of the meditations that I know he did specifically is called the Six Phase Guided Meditation. You can get it free on YouTube. And okay. then there's also an app called Omvana, O-M-V-A-N-A, uh, Omzana, I think, something like that. But anyway, go to YouTube. It's called The Six Phase Guided Meditation. I've got it up on screen here. Um, it's about 18 minutes long. Give it a go. It'd be interesting for you guys to, to let me know what you, what you think of it. Um, but uh, I think to your point, meditation is I've also as a tool. There's you get two kinds of people, right? People say, ah, oh, meditation is something that you do until something happens, <laughs> you know. <laughs> <laughs> and then you get people who use it as a tool to, to it's, all, it's a performance tool for me, meditation. Mm -hmm. It's less an insight tool. You know what I mean? Right, right. It can be so many different things to different people depending on what you're purposes with it i think and what is your preferred type of meditation well i'm a tibetan buddhist practitioner and uh, so i've actually been trying to work on a, what's called a three-year retreat and uh because i've been working most of my life it's kind of been in two months segments if you will mm. and so i'm following an actual spiritual teacher in southern california with a very traditional set of meditation practices that develop the mind and the heart um, over time. And so this is a practice that's been developed for thousands of years. So I'm kind of following a traditional path. that's more about, about learning to work with the nature of the mind mm. rather to, than accomplishing anything. It's more of trying to deal with, well, I wouldn't say deal, settling in with awareness and becoming aware of awareness and in that space there's more ability to act skillfully and effectively and compassionately and with an inner wisdom rather than knowledge if you will yeah i understand cool so um we are going to wrap this up uh gene why do you do what you do what gets you out of bed in the morning <laughs> well a good cup of coffee is a good start <laughs> like three, um, but, case. you know i also like to move because uh my body gets stiff from all of my old injuries so that's awesome but <laughs> i think the real reason i get out of bed and carry on is i, I want to contribute in in this world so um, i want to savor every moment of life because i realize 
I got a second chance mm-hmm. and I don't want to waste that second chance. I want to really enjoy and maximize life. But again, it has to be all not about me, but contributing toward others. And um, so I carry on and do that in whatever way I can. And I should mention um, with my book, I'm donating 100% of the proceeds I make from it to organizations that help people do a learn effect how to work with their minds effectively. Amazing. Cool. I've got it up on screen here, guys. It's uh, Gene Munchrath, and uh, you can get the book, If I Live Until Morning. Pretty much, It's still on Amazon, right? It's on Amazon. Um, I have a distributor out in California, but probably Amazon is the easiest place to buy it. And it was just released also as an audio book, which is available oh, both on Amazon and audible.com. Yeah. And it's being translated into Vietnamese right now. Really? Damn. Yeah. Uh-huh. How did that come about? Oh, yeah. It's just um, a kind of a weird thing, kind of like, you know, this interview, I get an email saying, hey, do you want to do this? And really? I got an email from a company and it's amazing. a publisher in Vietnam. So we're yeah. moving forward in that. Yeah. You got one up on me. I'm hyper competitive. Now I'm going to have to try and get my... <laughs> <laughs> it's about being your best, not about helping yeah. somebody else. <laughs> you sure about that? <laughs> no, no, that's great though. Congratulations. You know, it's, I think that's, uh, that's a huge achievement. And obviously, you know, that echoes the, the kind of person that you are and the, the contribution that you're making. So, you know, only you and respect you. And I think that's, uh, that's an incredible thing. So thank you for being on the show. It's been a privilege to, uh, to tell your story. Yeah, thank you for allowing me this opportunity. And thank you for the work that you do and your inspiring stories. I know you're benefiting a lot of others. So hats off to you for the work you do. Jean, what a pleasure. Thank you, guys. We'll see you again soon. Cheers. Thanks for listening to the Map Round Show, guys. Don't forget, you can catch me on all social media platforms for the latest updates, news, and a show history. So if you've been catching this on the podcast, please head on over to our YouTube channel and pound that subscribe button. It would be great to catch the video version there. And if you want a free copy of my number one Amazon best-selling book, You're In A Game, for free right now today, you can grab that on mattbrownshow.com forward slash ebook. Ever wanted to become a best-selling author? Well, I'm in the influence business and I work with business owners and CEOs and business leaders to help them scale their influence. And we do this as a team by helping you to become a best-selling author, sought-after speaker and industry influencer in only 30 days. My team and I have developed a system that delivers a best-selling book and a launch campaign 300% faster and 50% less cost than anyone else in North America. This system is incredibly efficient. One of my clients haiku went from a 2% share of voice globally to an 11% share of voice globally in only seven days. If you'd like more information, head on over to showworksmedia.com for more. That is showworks with an x.com.